0: Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk.
1: Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.
2: But first, trying to find a GP. Are you currently trying to get an appointment with a doctor? Are you struggling to find a GP in your local area? Um it seems to be a big issue for a lot of people and, and not just in cities, seems to be a problem right across the length and breadth of the country. And it's going to get worse, according to the um, Irish College of General Practitioners, because about 700 GPs are going to retire now over the next six years. And there isn't the same uh, number of GPs looking to fill these particular positions. So what difficulties did you have? trying to find a doctor. Caroline is on the line in Mayo. Caroline, can you just outline outline for us how difficult you found it?
3: Um, yeah, it was very difficult for me. Um, We just moved and um, I'd found out a few months after moving that I was pregnant. So I was trying to get in to the doctor to have it confirmed and everything. And I couldn't find one in the area. I tried 11 doctors close to where I live and... Um, I couldn't get in. Everyone was just like, "No." Some people were hanging up. It was quite emotional at the time because I was—it's my was my first pregnancy, so I was a bit overwhelmed, and I wanted to know what was going on. So I actually drove back to Offaly, to my where I used to live, to my original doctor for my first appointment. Two appointments.
2: So eleven GPs across County Mayo, and you couldn't get into any of them. No, no. So you went back to Offaly for the first appointment and but that's not a realistic commute though for every time you need a doctor.
3: Uh, no, no. After the second time I went down would have been uh, early December, but I got a doctor, thank God, late December. Um, so I would have been about just over three months then and I was actually due the hospital scan, like I was due the the 20 week one just before Christmas. I didn't get in until the end of January because I was so late actually getting a doctor's. So um, the early initial early scan, I didn't really do. I kind of just went in at uh, 20 weeks in January and they did like the anomaly, the, the head check and everything. Because by then I was already, oh, 20 something weeks. And mm-hmm. they were like, well, we'll just do all the anomaly checks now. and. I didn't have to go back after that. That was kind of it. That was the the scan. That was where I found out everything.
2: Yeah, but like, oh. it, I suppose it's a, it's an added stress, though, isn't it? You know, when in, in in the early stages of um of your pregnancy, when you're just even the whole process of actually ringing around eleven different surgeries. And did you mention some some actually hung up on you?
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, they did, and some were like really just. I don't know, quite rude. I know after one, I was like a bit tearful. And, um, you know, at the time, I suppose the, the hormones and everything, it, did, it just did affect me a bit more. I was a bit more, you know, down. And I suppose I took people's nose a bit more to heart. And uh, again, as you're worrying about it, it's your first one. And again, because it was my first one and it was a bit out of the blue, um, I did think, well, what if I wanted a choice? So I did ask if I could look into that. But um, I think the only person in Mayo that does it is in Claire Morris. So they do the options. They'd look out to see if you could have an abortion. But once you see them and once you go through all their psych like files, they send you into the hospital for a scan. And you have to be, you know, in your early weeks of pregnancy to get anything done, um, which by the time they would have organized it for me, I wouldn't have been. So it's... Um, Definitely hard. And for anybody, you know, they're advertising that they're doing, you know, everybody has the option now to look into abortion if they need. But at the same time, if it's going to take that long to actually get into the doctors and then get into your consultant about the abortion and then either get the pill if you're approved or go into the hospital. I mean, the time, the time is wasted waiting,
2: Uh, especially if
3: you're someone who has decided that that is the course of action they wanted.
2: And in in once you um you mentioned the the appointments in awfully then that you had with the, with the doctor there, but then you you did find a local GP though, or you did get one more locally then uh, to yourself in Mayo Caroline.
3: Yes, I did. I did. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um,
3: now I have to say it's an extended problem. My parents had the issue moving up. They actually ended up having to ring the HSC, and thank God because obviously my dad is a pensioner. He. Got assigned signed a doctor but they were, until January, they didn't have a doctor so my dad was going back down to Offaly to collect his prescription and he's actually waiting now about 20 months for a hip replacement and he's been on crutches and can't walk for 18 of those months.
2: Just in, in, on the waiting list?
3: Yeah, um, not even exactly on the waiting mm. list. Waiting to see a consultant to get on the hospital waiting
2: Okay, yeah, it's it's part of a, a whole wider extended problem, isn't it, Caroline, just in, in terms of the, the wait times really for anything, actually, and I can see the, the text coming into us here. Uh, let me bring in Dr. Aideen uh, Brides as well, who's a, a GP in Monaghan. Um, Aideen, I mentioned the number of doctors that are due to retire over the next number of years, but the situation that Caroline outlined there in terms of trying to just get access, just to try and get an appointment to, to confirm her uh, a pregnancy or any other, you know, ailment that people People need to um to, to to see a GP about like is this the situation across the country?
1: Unfortunately, Andrea, it is. I'm in practice in Monaghan Town and like I empathize completely with Caroline because we're in the same situation in that every practice is closed to new patients and no GP would ever like to see a patient stuck. But we're at a stage where we simply cannot cope with the demand. The population has increased, the nature of what we're doing in general practice has changed dramatically. And we simply cannot get locums. We cannot get assistance. There aren't the staff to be had. And because of the nature of what we do, we have to be very careful to also not overextend our practices because, I mean, you know, you're working with, you're dealing with people's health needs and they need timely access to see their GP should something arise. So there's a very delicate balance there between ensuring that you're able to provide good quality and timely care to the patients that you have and yet trying to make sure that the patients in your area are able to access GPs. But um, like as Caroline alluded to, it, it, it kind of also comes back to the secondary care problem as well, because as people are waiting for longer and longer times and waiting lists, GPs are having to do more and more within their day to day practice. So it's kind
2: of a vicious circle, really. Mm. How has the nature of your work changed Aiding, that it is you know that it has it has left it in a position that um the College of Practitioners reckon they're gonna need about two thousand GPs within the next couple of years to even just meet the existing demand, let alone anything else?
1: So it's multifactorial really, and I would argue that you would probably need two GPs to replace every one GP that's retiring at the moment. This is due to kind of many different issues, but um, I suppose what we're doing in general practice is getting vastly more complex in that diseases like complex heart failure, complex diabetes, AFib, lots of different things that may have been managed in secondary care in years gone by are now being dealt with in primary care. And those need more and more consultations, more blood tests, more follow up. Um, So that takes a lot more time. Secondly, I suppose the nature of what patients want is a little bit more demand led. And that's because of lifestyle. So, you know, maybe kind of 10, 20 years ago, somebody might know their kid has a virus. They'll say, look, I'll give Calpol and Eurofem for a few days, see how things go. Now those parents are struggling with having to get that kid into crash tomorrow they need to see the doctor today. They need to be able to tell the crash tomorrow that the child has seen the doctor. So there's a little bit more demand. I suppose our society has become increasingly medical legal. So as GPs, mm. we're having to be so much extra cautious with documentation and looking things up and things and recording things appropriately. Um, so many different aspects. I suppose also the nature of the GPs that are out there at the moment. I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago working from 8 in the morning till 10 at night and they may or may not have a spouse at home kind of looking after the house and the kids and things like that. Like our society has changed. Most people are in two people working families. So you can't be out for all hours of the day. So you have to be home by maybe seven o'clock, you know, or some kind of reasonable hour. And like we're doing out of hours and different things. So like, you know, I would feel that the demands were always there in the job but they're increasingly
2: greater okay stay on the line Aideen, if you don't mind because jared um has gotten in touch too and jared i believe your partner your wife is um is a local gp i mean can you I presume you you're very aware of this situation or the picture that Aideen has just painted in terms of the demands that it takes on on home life
0: oh absolutely i've i'm loving it for 30 years and uh one thing uh, just at the start of your show i certainly I'm not going to put uh, a wee note beside my wife's guacamole in the morning because my life wouldn't be worth living. <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, um, you know, we, we tend to forget that a general practitioner is a human being, a mother, sister, brother, father, friend, whatever. They're all of the above. And the reliance on their partners or their better half or their family in a job. Which demands, and I uh, told your researcher the other day, and I think he was kind of, oh, wow. And I, I kind of gave him a perspective of what our normal week looks like. If you start on a Monday, she starts work between 7.30 and 8. Uh, on a rare occasion, she might get half an hour for lunch. And I, and I say that's a might. She will get a lunch but it's invariably eating it while she's doing admin work or uh, doing phone calls over between that so-called free time between 1 and 2. I will see her um, uh, on average uh, between 7.30 and 8.30 at night. That is a 12, 13-hour day. Then you add a Saturday. Uh, Saturday is normally a 7-hour admin. Uh, Sunday is normally a 7- to 8-hour admin. So that's a seven day week before you even start, you know, and that's like I worked it out this morning. It's on average between 90 and 130 hours per week. And that's our lives. Um, So people take it for granted, uh, like. Let's go for a walk on the beach. Well, that's not going to happen. Let's go to the movies. Well, oh no. Well, that's not going to happen. Okay.
2: So, okay. So well, is you know, is 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 that part of the problem, Adine? Like, because I I wonder is there often the view that maybe if if you're if you go down the the medicine route or the medical route that maybe being the the local GP is among the um, well maybe not as stressful as working in in, in a local hospital.
1: Well I would argue the complete opposite because uh, we are where it stops. In a hospital you have a team, you have support, you might have somebody to cover your on-call but ultimately in general practice, like I'll give you a very good example, a friend of mine, her husband had quite a serious accident last weekend about three hours from where they live. She had to be at work at nine o'clock Monday. They have two young children and she's pregnant. There is no cover so Like, you know, you run a practice, you have your patients. For example, I work with my husband and I often think, should something happen to him, my very first thought would be, well, who's going to open the practice at nine o'clock on Monday? Because it has to be opened. That's it. Your patients are there. They have their needs. And at the end of the day, they expect you to look after them. So I think a huge problem with people moving into general practice is this sense of kind of, responsibility and the lack of kind of a backup plan so we are educating more doctors we're training more gps um but the in the lack of kind of a support service is quite crucial to the recruitment uh, problem um and you know we could deal we might see face to face 30 odd patients a day but on top of that we'd be dealing with about another 60 patients so okay. in terms of looking at their blood results their paperwork so there's a lot of admin on top of that yeah, and on top of the, you can just, the, yeah, the consultation kind of yeah, or the, 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 say that's the done. person
2: sitting in front of you what would you say to this yeah. texter Aideen who, who, um, who has gotten in touch to say we moved back from the UK seven months ago we haven't been able to find a GP thankfully we haven't been sick but I'm actually terrified for when we do get sick and we've two young children
1: I would hope, like that situation has arisen in our practice, and I would hope that they would never be stuck. Um, You know, usually they'll find somebody who will see them, but it's awful that anybody would ever be in a situation like that of of wondering who to call and how to access care. I suppose ultimately that's feeding into our A&E crisis because people are turning up in A&E in an emergency situation because they can't access primary care. Um, so all together, you know, we would say that primary care is the cornerstone of medicine um, and we would like to be able to deal with as many things in primary care as possible to,
2: to take okay. that pressure off secondary do, care. Do you blame mm-hmm. the free GP care for children for blocking up weight
1: numbers? Um Well, like... Ultimately, you know, free at the point of access care would be an ideal solution, but we don't have the manpower to offer it. Haven't at the the it. Right. We certainly did see a huge increase in the attendances, um, but actually, interestingly, especially in an out-of-hours capacity, we saw a huge increase in the attendances of the under six. And um, there's always going to be that ethical kind of debate. Should everybody have free healthcare? Should we be giving it to those who need it most? It's very hard to get the answer right but certainly what okay. we do know is that there's a manpower capacity and that needs to be addressed. Yeah, well I see Carmel
2: see has gotten in touch as well. She says, I had a sore throat, couldn't get an appointment with my local doctor for two weeks. What's the point in even trying to, I was, I was over the sore throat by the time I was able to get the appointment and like a lot of very similar, uh, similar messages um, to that as well. I, just, just your view on this texter, Aiding, uh, finally, if you don't mind, that's come in from a listener who says, with absolutely no disrespect at all to uh, to any um, any refugees who've arrived from the Ukraine in recent months, but I understand that all Ukrainian refugees were automatically assigned a GP and in arrival into Ireland, and I just wonder why we can't assign a GP for everyone. Asks this texter.
1: So I had that ethical dilemma because I was saying no to patients, and then we did take on a population of Ukrainian refugees because at the time people would have done anything to help them in any way. But there is a system whereby if you, I think, attend three different practices and have a letter saying you can't get a GP, the HSE will assign you to a doctor. So there there is a system that works. um, So most people are not left kind of in a situation where they're stuck. Um, I suppose like, you know, the lack of locums is a big, big problem for us. And just knowing that we don't have somebody to cover our practice is a huge issue. And as your uh, earlier and um, speaker alluded to and um, trying to get time off for family time. I mean, we managed to get a week off this summer and we do a cross cover with another GP practice. Like we're, we're clutching at straws
2: mm. at this stage. How many in but, your practice, um, There's just two of us. Right. So if you get sick, yeah. it's... Like it's it's my husband so he has to go to work and
1: that's it but um, you know and that's the common scenario I mean we voted COVID in early January and while we had a locum for a week the two of us were on the phone you know that's just what you're dealing with but as, as you asked, um, I think most GPs wish we had more capacity, uh, and it's very hard when you're patients like Caroline, and that that is the reality. Well, people that's what.
2: Yeah, that's know, where a money. lot a lot of the texts coming in today all very similar to Caroline. But maybe the point you made at the end there, I, I think, is very interesting for people, in that if you can't get um, an appointment with a GP or you can, you can't get a GP, you can actually contact the HSC, and one will be assigned. If um, what did you say, three? If th- if three appoint, if you can't. Um, if you have three uh, rejections, is that was that the point you made? Wrong,
1: but there there is a system along those lines. Okay, yes, there is at least a, a
2: backup there for people. Okay, Doctor Aideen Bride's D, uh, local GP there in Monaghan Town. George, thank you for getting in touch with us too. Caroline as well in Mayo five three one zero six is the tax line number. Tell us how long were you waiting to get an appointment with your local GP? Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan brought to you by Avant Money weekdays
0: at midday
2: on News Talk. Keep the messages coming into us. A little earlier we were talking about um trying to get an appointment with a GP and how long it takes and Adana got in touch with us. Adana what's um what's your experience? <clears throat> um, I just had a lot of problems getting a GP appointment over the last
4: Um, sort of four or five months in a large GP in in Dublin where I am and I have a newborn and are getting even getting her vaccinations it took actually six weeks from the start of the process like of calling them trying to register her they didn't get back about the registration then they said they didn't have an appointment for two weeks and they called on the day and said of the appointment and said well um, she didn't have her six-week check here because she was a a premature baby so her checks were done in the hospital and they cancelled her vaccine and they said the next appointment was another two weeks so it ended up six weeks and then they were kind of like what why did it take you so long to get her vaccine her two-month vaccines done and sure yeah <laughs> you can imagine my reaction you, you then. couldn't get in yeah exactly it was like it took so long and then even myself I had a um, chest infection and even to get phone triage took two days and not, like I wasn't going to get to see a doctor for two weeks. And like this is in a very large GP with five GPs, four or five admin and two nurses on staff. And also okay. a
2: local GP as well. Yeah. It's not a small No, GP. this is, I mean, by all accounts from the, the text that I've been reading coming in from um, GPs today, that certainly sounds like a, quite a large practice and, and, you know, good support network there too for the GPs. And even at that that's the length of time it took you to get an appointment for yourself yeah, and also your baby.
4: Pop- yeah, there's an older population in the area and I think a lot of people do have a lot of health concerns and but it's definitely not something that's isolated to small GPs with, with no admin staff because these guys are really well supported but I still it it took an awful an awful lot to get. And even when my other child was sick, you know, they were very good. They said, Look, we'll try and get an appointment by the end of the week but they're clearly under a lot of pressure even with all their staff to get and they did their best and got them in within three days but that was like them pulling out stops you know. What's the solution to this? I don't know I mean I work in medical science myself in a hospital lab and I know there's a lot of people in medical science that would love to get into medicine but and there is that a pipeline there but it's very clunky very you know it takes a long time and the they basically have to nearly go back to to retrain as a doctor, even though they have so much experience. So I don't know if there's a a route there that could be kind of made more effective. Um, that's kind of I don't know other than that.
2: Mm. Would it be something you'd consider?
4: I'm not personally a medical scientist. I, I'm a medical lab aide, so I'd have a long okay. way to go into it. Yeah, okay. But
2: a lot of my colleagues,
4: Your would colleagues be, and a lot of them
2: would be interested. Leave.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of them do leave, and they have to, you know, just they spent another you know with all with all the like knowledge they would have with medical science it's still I don't know if there's a half road between being you know there could be some sort of position that would be helpful to doctors with, within GP practices and maybe would compensate medical science is better because like nurses they're not they're not well paid in this country for the training they do so I'm not sure if there's a
2: Create a creative yeah. solution there either, but it would be hard to see, wouldn't it? How it would work? I mean, you, I mean, I'm just thinking because even the the point that Aideen, the GP in Monaghan, made earlier. Just, I think, g- given how litigious, um, the the situation is here in Ireland. You know, I'm sure, like, there probably be some concerns, maybe, maybe around that. But like, when you look at the demand though, that's required, we're talking about 700 GPs. Due to retire within the next six years, and the actual the group representing doctors, the College of General Practitioners, they reckon they're going to need the guts of about two thousand new GPs to just meet the existing demand. And if you were to listen to the GP we'd on earlier, she says it needs to be even more than that, mm. given the numbers that are you know go- going into general practice. So it's, it's hard like, to.
4: Yeah, like in America and other countries, it doesn't seem to take this. uh, training to become a GP or not a GP but a doctor in general I don't know if the training needs to be
2: looked at as yeah, well. Okay. No, I take your point around no, whether or not as there's, as well. yeah, kind of a support role maybe in some way that uh, might assist. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, Anna's is in to say, when you look at the entire system, it doesn't allow pharmacists to prescribe like they do, for instance, in England. The GPs uh, want a monopoly and yet they can't cope with the, ma- with the demand. Allow pharmacists to prescribe in some cases, Suzanne. This listener says, why are GPs not ran like any other business with admin agents and a general manager that's running the business? opening the practice ensuring wait times are met etc and this listener again talking about how long it has taken weeks currently waiting to try and get an appointment with my local GP for a chest infection Um, again two and a half weeks before I can get in to see the doctor is that standard across the country because there's a number of texts coming in from people like this today talking about one and a half to two two and a half weeks to just get in for the face-to-face appointment